Hi everybody, how you doing? My name's Lawrence, and uh, here we have... And I'm Simon. Um, and together we are going to talk about uh, our Chat 20 podcast. This is episode two. Um, I think I'm pretty happy with the name. I actually like the name. Yeah. <laughs> I know it, it was a kind of off-the-cuff thing to start with, but um, yeah, Chat 20. Chat 20, it works. It's got everything there. It's um, from a uh, play on words with natural 20, so I think it suits the whole D&D aesthetic very well. Indeed, because a nat 20 is the best thing in the whole world. <laughs> Not to be mistaken with a nat 1. No. Which is the exact opposite. Um, anyway, we're here to talk about D&D, go on wild divergence to who knows where, because we could talk D&D for pretty much years if, you, if you'd let us. <laughs> Sad but true. It is really true. <laughs> Um, anyway, how have you been? What's been, been going well, on? mate. I've been well. I mean, obviously, there's a global pandemic. Russia's invading the Ukraine, and there are lots of awful things happening, but uh, no, the family and I are all well. Well, that's good. Yeah, same back. The hearts do go out to those people who have been uh, suffering over there. And, and also the floods recently. Now, um, yeah. Our friends up in northern New South Wales and Queensland, in fact, have been suffering greatly. And um, we hope that things get better and our heart goes out to you. And Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I've friends and family up in the north of New South Wales and, yeah, it's absolutely terrible up there. Yeah, it's a lot of, um, a lot of businesses and uh, families that are yep. going through some st- um, tough homes, times. A lot of businesses. Uh, across, the, across the world. It's been quite a few years, actually. So <laughs> yeah, It's hard, hard to imagine life without COVID-19 now, isn't it? It sure is. But the one good thing that we have going on for us is um, tabletop RPGs, um, one of which we are discussing today being Dungeons & Dragons, if you haven't figured that out. Um, but I've been incredibly grateful to have that in my life. And well, in, the in much the and, same way that uh, you know, work has been transformed by the pandemic, more and more people are working digitally, remotely, you know, from their own homes. I've actually ended up playing more Dungeons and Dragons over the internet That's you it. Know, through Zoom calls and Fantasy Grounds and you know other other you know programs that allow you to play tabletop games online I've, I think I've seen more of my closest friends online than I ever did face to face before the pandemic so yeah, and the diversity is in that um, that style of game is fantastic and the way that we can still have that connection even though we're not there in person has I know it got me through a lot of um, a lot of rough patches. I'm sure that it's probably helped a lot of others too. Oh God, yes, it's been very therapeutic for yeah. all of us. <laughs> and for those who are thinking about getting into it, why not? It's completely free if you do it right. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, obviously there are things that you can buy to make your life easier. Um, yep. You know, you go online. There are dozens of different gaming platforms and programs to make it easier for you to have these experiences. But honestly speaking, most of you have access to some sort of video chat system, whether it's something free like Discord or something you've got through work like Zoom or Teams. There are, there are plenty of options. Uh, and honestly, even without a you know Fantasy Grounds or D&D Beyond or, or any of these platforms, you can frankly still play D&D just over a Zoom call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so me and my friends play it on other days and stuff like that. We often use Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, starting up a Curse of Stride game um, in Discord as well. So it's, it's been quite uh, quite a useful tool. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, um, we had a few things to talk about. Um, sure one of which is on the top of your list. Yeah, so I guess, you know, as, as more and more people are 
starting to play these games and I think there's been a, a rise in popularity in things like D&D off the back of, well, obviously the pandemic, but I think also things like Stranger Things that have brought it back into to fashion, if you like. <laughs> um, and Critical Role, uh, you know, I don't know whether our audience has been watching Vox Machina, uh, worth a look if you haven't seen it. Again, just this is all off the back of a group of mates playing D&D and recording it and having a good time and then realising that actually they'd accidentally created this great story. And I guess, you know, one of the things that often frustrates me as a DM is, is when you have people going to the extremes of metagaming. Yeah, and yeah. It, and, it, you know, different campaigns for different people and, you know, people play the game in a lot of different ways. But if you've got a group of people who are trying to do a role-playing game, you know, and I know you had James on last episode, I think, and... Um, you know, he gets into the voices and uh, he really, <laughs> really role plays really hard. If you've got most of the group doing that and you've got one person who is just basically interested in having the most metagamed character possible yeah, and playing it to win as opposed to playing it for fun, which is how most of us play it. Yeah, it can be very frustrating. And, um, you know, equally up the other end, you end up with, <laughs> with you know, ultimate role players who are trying really hard to be original and they gimp their characters so hard that they're useless to everyone during the game. <laughs> and they don't end up having a good time, even though their character is the most original thing you've ever heard of. It's finding that balance too. And I think uh, going on that note, especially in like the very much the heavy roleplay side of things, is the people that make characters that are like, oh, no, my character just wouldn't trust you. It's just, it's just not in their nature to trust you. And then they don't get along the game. There's no... There's no real team dynamics. They become a lone wolf, so to speak. And it's because they've role-played the character a little bit too hard in the wrong direction. Um, I think what it comes down to as well is the conversations between the DM and the players um, and what the expectations are for the DM and what the expectations are for the players. And I think uh, one thing is important to bring up is when you make a character, you can make them a little bit edgy, but they always have to have a reason to join the party. Um, and that needs to be a discussion between the player saying, okay, cool, I'll make this, does this work? Um, and it may work that there might be a money thing that sort of links them to the party. Yep. That's fair enough. Yep. It could be... Makes some, the world go around. Exactly. It could be that um, their ideals find the same path um, or their bonds might find the same path. So like, I, I need to try and catch the um, person that killed my parents um, but I'm happy to help um, you out until um, such a time as that comes around yeah um, and, and helping as, as you yeah. say it has to fit with the story it has to fit with the story so you know I'm having a conversation with a couple of my players in one of one of the games where they're coming up with all these fantastic character ideas and I say oh, that's fine why would Laurel Silverhand hire you, you know, <laughs> the, one, the one thing I told you all was you are going to be hired by the open lord of Waterdeep, who's not an evil mastermind. <laughs> so why would she hire a chaotic evil assassin? You know, I mean, it's it doesn't it doesn't fit the brief. No, it's got to it's got to fit the brief. It's got to be easy for them to find connection with the world. And when it's easy for them to find the connection and for you to build that connection, then they fit in more flawlessly. If they're always on the outside, it's hard to sort of. Uh, put them together, really. Yeah, and I, I remember one of the one of the campaigns that, that you know 
you and I play together mm. where t- two of us you know you said hey look you know maybe some of your characters could know each other and so I worked with Mitch to build two characters who did know each other and had a reason for knowing each other and worked together and had a reason to end up where you wanted them to end up exactly and um my whole idea with that was okay there needs to be a reason for them to be connected with each other there needs to be um connections between that place and them and when they all sort of meet together and it also builds that uniqueness so they still get the unique entry into the game they still get the unique um entry within the world and then they're forced in a situation where they need to work together or they're going to struggle yeah and 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 again i think um you know the old D and D joke is that your first character tends to be an elven ranger or something really stereotypical. <laughs> yeah. But you, but you know, a Goliath, a couple, a couple, or couple, yeah, yeah, a Goliath <laughs> Barbarian or you know, a halfling rogue or something. But as you go further and further, you you know a lot of people try to be as original as possible. Yeah. And you end up with some sort of bizarre combinations and people wanting to wanting to sort of alter the stat deck and create something really unique. And, you know, every DM is the ultimate arbiter of what is allowed in their campaign. But as I as I keep saying to my players, it's really simple, guys. You want to change the look, feel of, of an ability. You know, you want to change Eldritch Blast into spectral cards that fly from your hands because you're a gambler. So long as the stat deck remains the same, you know that the rules are balanced. You know that the numbers will all work. And you won't be overpowered, underpowered. You won't have weird combinations of things that make you ridiculous. And that works. But there's always... So, for example, I had one of my players say, oh, um, you know, just to fit with the whole theme of this druid, can my druid cast Fireball? <laughs> I said, well, druids can't cast Fireball. That's kind of part of the balancing act. If you want to yeah. cast Fireball play a wizard yeah. oh, I don't want to play wizard I want to play a, I want to play a druid but he's, he's all themed around fire why can't I cast fireball because druids can't cast fireball and you know another DM may say well no no I'm going to allow it but I'm going to gimp the character in some other way to, to create balance yeah but honestly you don't need to there are so many options you know I mean with all of the different source books that have come out there must be hundreds of combinations between race and class and <laughs> sub and subclass within each class oh there absolutely is there's always an option and you know as we said you, your character's not unique because you've chosen a unique combination of things your character's unique because of the character you, you put into it yeah you know, that's it you can play an elven ranger but he might be an elven ranger who's you know got an alcohol problem because his mum was killed in front of him you you can do all sorts of things to make the character more interesting it's like we discussed in um, the last episode the first one Uh, we discussed the I think the quite useful um, ideals bonds um, flaws uh, those actual character traits that in some cases are very much underused but are great for role playing um, aspects because it does give you the quick sort of guide and what your character's all about yeah and give your character a flaw we're all flaws every every single one of us is flawed to some extent that's what makes your character interesting um maybe your character can't help 
when they see something really shiny, they must find a way to like, oh, I really want to half inch that. Mm. I really want to steal that. That can make some really good RP moments and really good dynamics within the team as well. Um, but it brings a different level of interest to your character, a different layer to your character, it makes them more yeah. um, diverse. And Don't the, be scared to like make those falls. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's why we have you know the concept of inspiration die. Yeah, because when somebody does something that's clearly in character, if not entirely uh, in line with the mission or the you know, unless of course that is their character, you know. Have players play characters who who are all about mission. You know, they're really focused, lawful, neutral characters who are all about the mission. And I want to hear about all the side quests. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the very uh, and that's focused. that's just the way they're wired. But most of the time, yeah, your characters' flaws, as you say, in real life, we all have them. Yeah, no one's perfect. You know, oh, maybe I'll just have one more of those. You know, rum and cokes. <laughs> About we, five of them we, later. Yeah, yeah, later. Yeah. <laughs> you wake up in your bed and can't remember how you got there. We, 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 all, we all have flaws, and I, and I think it's important that you build those into your character as well. Yeah. But also, all, all of your, your reasons for doing the things that you do. Yeah. You know, they don't have to be bad things. Good things can often result in you doing stupid stuff as well. Exactly. You know, maybe, maybe you're just, you know, you can't pass by, you know, a child in pain. Even if that child is on the 13th floor of a mega dungeon, it probably <laughs> isn't a child. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's important that we build these into our characters and make that the interesting bit. So rather than trying to, you know, as I was saying before, rather than trying to meta, and, and I get it, okay, there's, we're, always, we're always trying to, you know, find ways of, of gaming the system so that we've really got, <laughs> oh, my character's going to be really good at this. And I, I encourage that. Every character should be good at something. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to have any fun in the game. You know, every, every time you roll, you're always going to not make it and it's, it's going to be boring for you. But trying to be meta is, in my view, a mistake. I remember when, when um, Strixhaven came out and, you know, you read some of the comments on the Allen race. And, mm. Oh, well, you know, and half of them were, well, there's no point in playing an Aarakocra anymore. Yeah. <laughs> why well because these these guys are better and the other half were well I can't see myself ever playing one of these ever why not they can fly <laughs> just as just for starters we've got dark vision great dark vision and flight two pretty key things mechanically for your character to have yeah <laughs> yeah so you know I, I just worry that people spend too much time trying to get their character fine-tuned and not and they don't spend enough time on the actual character of the character yeah yeah that's that that's it and uh, going back to what you said about meta as well um your character doesn't know you know what's going to happen around that next door in the dungeon you've never been to once before even if you as a person do um so let's take that into consideration and pretending that you don't know or acting like you don't know is actually going to make the game more interesting for yourself but also for other people around you for instance I've um, played Curse of Stride a number of times now I've DM'd Curse of Stride a few times now um, I've actually jumped in another game that's running it so I'm a player in that as well but I'm treating the whole thing 
as if I didn't know anything about Curse of Strahd. Um, just that there's a lot of fog and darkness and scary, spooky stuff, <laughs> which yeah. I learned very quickly in the first session. And, and in much the same way as players can play the same spec mm. in multiple different ways, the DM can play modules multiple different ways. I, I had a mate of mine who ran the Curse of Strahd campaign and he played Strahd like the Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> I love to count. Oh, and, and, I love and that. So when you know you come across a pile of bodies at a you know gypsy camp, and you know there's a note stabbed into the top of the pile, and it just says, "How many can you count?" You know, and there was this string of clues leading up to it until, of course, we meet him, and he he did the whole voice and everything, and it was one hilarious but creepy at the same time. <laughs> yeah, there there is something about dolls thrown into horror. <laughs> that's just instantly creepy it doesn't matter if it comes from a kid's show I just, just want to be it's... your friend <laughs> in fact if it does come from a kid's show it makes it even more scary <laughs> no, I, it was great and I think that, that you know and, and people often argue about whether or not you can use the modules and still give people you know uh, a surprise or, or a different way of doing things and I, I think the distinction between homebrew and modules is is an artificial one I mean yes mm. okay you can make up an entire campaign and game world yourself awesome wonderful no one's going to complain about that <laughs> but to be honest a lot of the modules and, and books and so forth are pretty open-ended I mean so obvious example Dungeon of the Mad Mage huge dungeon full of all sorts of things but your reasons for going in there and what you're actually trying to achieve might be completely different depending upon the campaign that you're running i think i've used that oh, probably half a dozen times each time the story has been completely different each time the reasons for people going into the dungeon in the first place has been completely different and frankly you move things around you change the monsters you change the traps it's, it's easy but you, 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 up and blend it, it means in you're not worrying about drawing up homemade maps and all that sort of thing you just reuse the map and people say ah, it's, a, it's, a, it's <laughs> the third mirror on the right boys <laughs> quick get in there yeah, yeah, yeah. no it's not yeah <laughs> you change I, it to the second one I, are, you, are you sure you, you want to touch the mirror yeah yeah it's all good it's, good. <laughs> it's actually the painting <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's always it's one of those dead giveaway lines from the DM uh, are, you, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start doing that to even even if it is the right thing uh, just, like yeah, really just, throw, throw just throw people yeah. off I'm going to start doing that because it just is a bit of a cliche isn't it you quite, go quietly rolling dice behind <laughs> your board but are you sure you want to do that and also if your players are losing attention if you're a DM and you, you, know, you might have stumbled up or something which we all do and your players seem to lose attention a little bit, start wandering off. Just roll a shit ton of dice that they can't see. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you that every one of their heads will turn to face you and go, What? <laughs> no, don't mind me. No, that's fine. Don't mind me. No, nothing's happened. Yeah. <laughs> now roll a perception. <laughs> can, I get, can I get a wisdom saving throw? <laughs> And no, then don't tell them exactly what, what's going to happen. Just just keep that in the back of your mind that they either succeeded or failed their number, and then you can get back to that. You can make it more interesting that way. Yeah. But, yeah. but it does catch them off guard. 
It, it does, and, and I think that's that's the important point. I, I remember mm. um, old friend of mine playing in one of my campaigns. He'd we were in the Underdark as it so happened, and he said, "Right, I'm going to play a Gloomstalker." Okay, so ha, things that use dark vision can't see me, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see. The problem with that is there are lots of things that can see you without dark vision. Oh, yeah. But people don't think about those. The blind side, true side, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, oddly enough, a lot of the creatures in the Nunnan suddenly have true side and yeah, blind side. It's, weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, um, for some reason, I find my most cursed spell that players use against my creatures is Hideous Laughter. Oh, it's a great spell. <laughs> I had a group that you started using that. All of a sudden, a lot of my creatures were immune to. <laughs> incapacitation and, and look I think that's that's, that's that's the problem with thinking like meta yeah because yeah, yeah, it assumes yeah. that it assumes that your DM isn't clever enough to overcome that situation wanted yeah. to rebalance the scale <laughs> okay because the, the DM's job is not to kill the player characters the DM's job is to make it look like it could happen at any time but hopefully they'll overcome the hurdles you put in their way yeah. and live happily ever after they're meant to challenge the players and, uh, and when the players get, um, get a challenge and they overcome it it's a great feeling you feel like a hero you've um, slayed that adult red dragon um, how accomplished do you feel afterwards you feel like you can just do anything um, and that sort of good combo is you got to allow your players to feel like a god sometimes so like mm-hmm. throwing like low level stuff that they just mow down but if you do that too often it becomes boring and repetitive and it's no challenge so then you've got to throw in those sort of uh, higher-end um, monsters that challenge them and bring uh, bring them out into different creative methods as well. Yeah, um, and, and, and also break stereotype from time to time. Yeah. You know, so one of my friends who's DM, DMing a game, we came across a troupe of musical kobolds who actually just wanted to play play music and smoke weed and have fun and... <laughs> and they had no interest in attacking us at all. And, and fortunately, at the time I was playing, you know, a satyr bard who just who heard snippets of the music, and I, again, I decided to play in character rather than sneaking up and attacking them from the shadows. <laughs> I played a counter melody, and you know, peace was broken, and we didn't have to fight that entire tribe of kobolds. <laughs> so, so you you can you don't have to homebrew everything no no you don't have to homebrew everything you can um you don't have to reinvent the wheel over and over again it's good to add your flair on things but remember you can always take from other um things as well oh i really like the death house in curse of stride you can find a way to weave that somewhere into your game um and using different parts of it so i think a good um balance is you've got your modules and your homebrew, but that doesn't have to mean that should strictly remain either or either. They can be a combination of both. Yeah, and and uh, again, I'm actually the Death House is a good example because the the mystery of what happened there, yeah, and all the the inherent creepiness of the house and the traps and all the things that can go wrong. You can change every single piece of that, and it's still the Death House. Yeah, you just change the story slightly and change the traps or change the the family or you know what happened there but the basic premise is is prime is timeless it's it's a, the mystery of something awful happened here 
and it's stained the house and the earth with evil and it's up to you to try and work out what happened and, and hopefully put it all to rest. Exactly. Now, in Curse of the Sword, it's meant to be um, an adventure, part of the part of the game is an mm. adventure. However, there is nothing to say you can't turn that into a you know, full campaign. No. And just have that as like the whole... I think you've got to find, unravel the mysteries um, and find out the dark and evil that resides within that house. Um, and you can overcome it that way. Yeah. So there's absolutely no reason why you can't take those elements that you really, really like and turn them into a full-length thing. And, and the trick is often sometimes to... How do I put this? You, you can create a, a sense of discovered story through little pieces around, you know, that the players discover. Um, so I remember um, at one point in one of my campaigns, the players were basically going off map. And they weren't, they weren't going to where they needed to go. They probably wouldn't have discovered their mistake for hours and they would have felt like they'd, they'd wasted a lot of time. So I put a dead drow in the way that had a little note that explained where they should be going. Not directly, yeah. but it hinted so strongly that they that they were going in the wrong direction that they yeah. all stood around for a few minutes and went, "Oh, guys, I think I think we're going the wrong way. I think we need to go back over there and check this thing out." <laughs> and you know, like, oh wait, and then I started you know randomly rolling dice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they they you know little things like that. You don't have to be static. Yeah. You know, you, you're you're playing the storyteller. You don't have to be bound by reality. If you think the heroes need a little nudge in the right direction, absolutely nothing wrong with having that nudge ready and prepared. And remember, your players don't know what's behind your screen. They mm-hmm. may not know that you actually uh, weren't planning for that part at all and you're just uh, winging it. They don't know that. No. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and look, if you're stuck on the spot, you know, here's a little tip from a DM. So, oh, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go to the toilet. They can't argue with that. You're going Thinking to lose. You, know? you, <laughs> you got a solid five minutes on the on, on the pooper um, to think, right? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> but it gives you enough time to like reset and like, okay, that's all right because I can do this. Well, that's all right. It's not that bad because I can change it to this. And that'll get them back on track. It's a little, um, it's not a lot, but it can make you feel a little bit more confident. And your players aren't going to know. Yeah, (laughs) they might think something's up if you're doing it like all game like every five minutes you're going to the toilet "Mm, is there something going on yeah (laughs) we're really worried about your health but in all seriousness you can't prepare for everything so yeah you have to be willing to change change the story on the fly I remember playing in a game recently where um, the Walt Magic Sorcerer in our party uh, who was playing his character to the hilt that it was all about the chaos man (laughs) and um, we got shunted out into this arena where we were supposed to fight the other group of people and he turns around sees the big bad in the the crowd on his podium and fires at him (laughs) you know triggers his wild magic burst rolls fortunately for a you know a fifth level magic missile to accompany his chaos bolt or whatever it was it used and yeah it did enormous damage to this guy enraged him and he came charging down into the arena so rather than having to fight our way through all the other people the dm had to pivot i go 
okay then. The big bad's not going to sit up there and go, oh, just about a scratch, puny ant. He's going, <laughs> yeah. screw this. I'm coming down there to cut you into tiny little cubes. <laughs> so he, he, you know, he did. And, and I'm sure that the DM at the time, I'm sure he went, oh, well, there goes my carefully rehearsed battle scene in the, <laughs> in the death trap lidden arena. Yep. But it fit with the story of the way we were playing the characters and he ran with it. And, you know, having killed the big bad evil guy, incidentally, before he got a shot off. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, we all turned and went, I like this plan. We all, <laughs> we all used ranged attacks on him as well. And I think he ended up blinded and stunned by the time he hit the arena and we finished him off. And the DM had to, on the flex, say, right, well, what would happen? And, you know, the crowd went wild with cheering because we'd vanquished the big bad evil in front of them and they helped us out of the arena and we all went on to the next stage of the adventure. You've got to be willing to flex, to change. Absolutely. And sometimes um, not holding back punches too. Don't be, don't be scared to not hold back your punch, you know. If your character has had lots of chances and... Um, to get out of a situation, but they choose to a particular path, which is going to aggravate the BBG, no matter no matter what. Well, that's what it does. Your BBG isn't going to sit there and go like, oh, "Okay, I'm going to take this because I don't want to." For, for those who are new to the terminology, BBG is the big bad, bad evil, evil guy. guy. Yep. <laughs> and we get so used to the jargon that we just sort of fall straight into it. Um, for instance, I had uh, one of the characters, one of the players. They decide that they're going to split the party. Um, to do various things and then wander right into the lair of the big bad evil guy right which uh, was surrounded by his own forces which he was he's got this um hideout it's not just going to be unprotected yeah it's actually a and splitting um, the party is always such a good idea i know it is uh <laughs> it's dnd rules 101 mm. by the way guys if you are listening to this and you th- um, think oh great i'll split the party please don't we're being sarcastic <laughs> <laughs> um, so she walks us right into this um, the tower where this um, wraith lord was of course yeah now this wraith lord was um, CR21 which is way above the level that she was at the time um, I, so I was like okay and that was the end of the session and I talked to her and said look you're in a bit of a predicament um, but we want to see if we can figure out where, what you're going to do to get out of it if anything um but I did warn her that she might need to create another character. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to have a backup. Exactly. Always good to have a backup. M- but, mind uh, you, it's not good to have 17 backups. <laughs> so so this, this is another kind of common problem with people who get, who get into D&D and you know, they, they think that... They start off and they have one character. Oh, I've always wanted to play a... Elf Ranger or whatever. It is. <laughs> and um, having done that and having got into the game, suddenly they've got all these amazing ideas for characters. Problem is that, of course, if you're doing that, you're not really investing into the character each of them. You're just going, oh, I could, I could do a shadow sorcerer. Oh, I like it. I could do a ghost wise barbarian half. No. Of course you can. There are countless variations. That's part of what makes DD so much fun. Exactly. But you're far better off really developing a handful of good characters with clear motivations, clear flaws. Yep. Um, and 
really knowing who you want to play rather than having this kind of you know book full of aha i have 73 first level characters ready to go because you'll never really invest in any of them no no you should only invest in one maybe two and that's it and really the, the reason i say two is you might have your main character and then a backup if something goes awry but really any more than that you're starting to split the attention away from where it where it should be um and also if you put your energy into one character remember the dynamic a character at starting at level one is not going to be the same as they were um, when they become level ten. Yeah, and, and a lot of the penalties for multi-classing are significantly lower in five E, sorry, fifth edition D and D, for than they were previously. I mean, previously yeah. multi-classing came with some serious downsides. Now I would argue most people could benefit from an, a level in something yeah. to round out their character. Because there's very, very little consequence for doing so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah unless you're playing Barbarian, in which case you're an idiot. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> level, level 20 keystone ability for Barbarian is so good, you'd be mad not to just charge screaming down the hill like a Barbarian uh, <laughs> to level 20. But um, yeah, most most characters, and, and I get yeah. it, but to your point, yeah, you can always change as you go along. You want to change you, as you go along. You, you, you don't like the way your character's working at the moment? Multi-class. Yeah. Or, or choose your you know ability score increase to make it possible for you to multi-class into something that you think would round out your character. Yeah, that's it. And like uh, maybe your lawful good paladin um, starts to get his morals questioned as um, after time he's been encountered a lot of evil and darkness maybe he does something he doesn't believe he was ever going to do mm. so that's another thing like your alignment can change it starts it's off this can. but as it goes through the game and different scenarios happen just like we do and different situations occur for us we change our perspectives change so maybe it becomes an oath breaking paladin yeah exactly and, so, and let's face it sometimes it all comes down to understanding why your character has the alignment that they do. Yeah. Okay, so it's all very well saying, well, some people just want to watch the world burn. Hilarious. But why is your character chaotic evil? Yeah, that's it. You know, most people don't start off that way. So There's got to be a reason what, for what, it. What, what's your story behind why they're, they're chaotic evil? Okay, have... Have they always just liked hurting puppies? Or what, what is it that, that drives them to be that way? Yeah. Are they just a, a ruthless assassin who the only thing they were ever good at was killing and they were brought up in a ninja clan? And No, come on. Th there's got to be a reason why your alignment is there. Now, forgive me for not pronouncing the name right, but it's it's exactly the same with like uh, Jacqueline Phoenix's um, Joker. Hmm. Right, there was a whole progression from him into the chaotic, um, chaos that he was. Um, it wasn't just, oh, here he is, he's chaotic, um, let's go Joker. Like, he was actually a real person that sort of, t um, that changed because the world had created that. So, But there was a solid reason for it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd call it a solid reason, but there was a reason. <laughs> there, was, there was a reason. Yeah, okay, maybe it was a little bit sort of liquid, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you, 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 you can, but the point is that you can, you can empathise with him. And, yeah. And you know, this this is the key, if, especially 
if you're making an evil character, why? Why are they evil? You know, yeah. is, is it... So, you know, lawful evil is always an interesting one because lawful evil, generally speaking, these are a sort of ends justifies the means kind yeah. of person. But they always, you know, they have a code. Of they have sorts. a code, yeah. And maybe they were just brought up that way. Maybe their family has a long tradition of being assassins. And, you know, someone's got to do the killing. We may as well do it well. Yeah. That, you know, you can you can weave something like that through the way your character behaves rather than just going, well, I'm lawful evil, so I would obey the law. No, that's not what it means. It doesn't have to mean that. Mm. Maybe you are lawful evil, and yes, maybe you obey every law, but you're just a, an unscrupulous mercenary who obeys the law of every contract but has absolutely no issue with wading through women and children with your sword in order to get to the target. Yeah. Why is that? You know, why, why, why are you that way? And I think, it's, I think it's, it's generally much easier to justify it if you're playing a good character you know, you can just say, well, you know, they had a loving family. They were brought up this way and they fight for what's right. But, you know, and you can have nuances within that. But if you're, if you're really wanting to play an evil character, and I, I've seen this done really well and, and really badly, you've got to have a justification for, for why this person That's it. is the way they are and, and how they fit into the, the, the story of the campaign. And that comes back to like having those discussions with the DM um, about, okay, this is what my character, what I view my character to be. Is that going to fit well in this campaign or do I need to adjust certain things? Exactly. Um, because, you know what, playing that chaotic evil because he was, the world had made him that way for whatever reason, even if it was a good reason, um, may actually not fit very well when they're trying to um, take the hobbits to Mordor to um, throw the ring in the fire as an example you know what I mean like not to Isengard <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree and I think it's it's like a lot of the things that we keep talking about it all comes back to communication between the DM and the players exactly there's absolutely no point in a player creating the most amazing character without reference to the DM's brief. And if you are a DM, give the characters a brief. It doesn't have to be long. It can be a couple of sentences. For example, one of the briefs in a game I played recently was, okay, you're all warforged and you've all been arrested by the Lord of Blades for treason. That's your background. Yep. So long as you can fit into that, that's that's your that's, starting that's point. That's your starting point, yeah, yep. Um, and, you know... Uh, uh, Mitch saying okay you're all good characters no evil characters that's it um, so for those of you who don't know yet we're planning on getting our next session up and running on the 13th of March our next recording um, then hopefully soon after that we'll have um, episodes of chapter 3 uh, we're still going through chapter 2 being uploaded um, but we're going to get ready into a game that's going to be DM'd by Mitchell uh, so that'll be that's nice and exciting. Um, you actually get to play a play a character in it. I actually get to play a character <laughs> in it. Um, so I'm thinking maybe an artificer, and I've uh, talked to Mitch about that. But uh, what was really good is Mitch. Yeah, he's talking to people individually, going like, okay, 
um, let's see what you're interested in playing uh, and see if we can find a way to work that well within the, um, the story's background. Yeah, and, and obviously the more background you can give your, your players, the easier it is for them to develop something that will work. Um, but equally, you, you don't want to funnel them into something that doesn't fit with any of the concepts they have. Absolutely. Um, and then sort of going back a little bit, creating a villain. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, creating a villain yeah. with lasting impressions. Well, I, th- I, think, it, I, think, I think it cuts back to what we were talking about with evil characters. Yeah. Why are they the villain? So the, the best, to my mind, the best villains in film and books and things like that, they're villains who you can understand. The villains who you go, I get it. You know, I, I get why you're doing that. Um, and they're not two-dimensional. So, oh, what's, who's a good example? All right, so Darth Vader. Yeah. Okay. Clearly the villain. There's no ambiguity about that. But as the story unfolds, you realise that he is a little torn. And he is not 100% villain. Yeah, he was corrupted by love. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that was explained later, but I think you know that's the important thing here. You need for a villain to really stick in the minds of your audience. If you want to think of the the players that way, he has to be more than just two dimensional. He is the evil necromancer. You know, it, that's not enough. Build, build into the story hints as to you know how they became so so yeah uh, I, I one way that and oddly enough I I've learned this from from video games one great way of doing that is for the players to find notes or, or bits yeah. of journal or, or old love letters or something that gives you a little bit of background into why the big bad evil guy became the big bad evil guy yeah, and, and it doesn't yeah. doesn't always have to be something tragic. Maybe you know, maybe he just got sick and tired of being turned down by the ladies in his city. But if you build something into the story where the characters yeah. are stumbling deliberately across <laughs> bits of background, they get this kind of drip fed sense of who this person is and, and why they are the way they are. Exactly. Um, See, so one of my uh, it's actually got a photo of him on my wall. I wish I could... Uh, I might take a photo for the um, the picture for the episode is Slandre O'Daunt, who was a um, djinn. But uh, one thing is, he was immortal. He couldn't... Uh, he couldn't... Like, age couldn't kill him. But he lived so long that he became a villain, which is a concept sort of done in other movies and other situations as well. But um, over time, they started picking up, picking up that. He became more and more corrupt because um, he felt like nothing could kill him and he's the last of his kind. So he's lived a long, lonely existence. Mm. And after a thousand years, progressively, that does something to your psyche. And uh, that's what happened to him. Um, And the more that the players began to learn the world, Mm. the more they began to pick up the clues and pick up uh, bits of lore, they started to build... Um, that picture not all of it because sometimes the entirety of your villain may never be revealed no but um, just enough of it 
to sort of build that everlasting impression, as you said, and to have like, oh, that is a dynamic um, person. That's actually builds my creativity as a player because now I can find ways around encountering the villain. Yeah. Maybe I can try and find something mentally that I can, um, or psychologically, defeat the villain or psychologically um, change the villain's perspective on things. Maybe he's no longer a villain after you interact with him, after you learn enough. Um, but the po- Or maybe you need to kill him or whatever. But the point is it opens up a branch of options for your players and they feel like they've actually accomplished something um, from exploring and learning about it. Yeah, I mean... Human, Rather than just, here's a bad guy, go kill him. Yeah, exactly. And I think human memory works in a kind of interconnected way. So, you know, they talk about memory hooks. A good way of remembering things is to associate with something that you already know. And as you say, if you meet the big bad evil guy just out of nowhere, quite hard for them to leave much of an impression, to be brutally honest. I mean, they can cackle maniacally and say crazy, wacky things... Or even speak like the Count from Sesame Street. But, <laughs> but the, the, you're only getting a sense of them once. One of the best techniques for leaving a more lasting impression is to make sure that they encounter the villain either in person or through influence multiple times throughout the adventure. Now, it can be something as simple as, you know, journals or orders or, you know, notes. But it could also be, you know, maybe they see him doing something and run to intercept him and he portals away or he says something snarky like you know I don't have time to deal with you vermin today and you know vanishes there are lots of ways to create that sense of suspense of, of having of having known the villain um, because I think that's that's the key you don't want the players to say well it's simple we're murder hobos we're just going to charge through the dungeon kill everything that comes at us steal yeah. its stuff and at the end, there'll be an even bigger monster. We're going to kill it too. You want them to feel a sense of story that there's exactly. there's something more going on here. That you are somehow changing the world by doing what they're doing. And the best way to do that is to make them feel like this big bad evil guy has more of an influence than just the boss room that you find him in. Yeah, that's it. And even like foreshadowing. Uh, like when it comes up to the time where you're about to encounter um, your BBG for that final um, showdown, maybe you don't come across them straight away. Maybe you go through a series of um, environmental uh, features. Maybe there is a dead body that has telltale marks that you've previously alluded to um, being linked with the BBG. Yeah. Um, that creates an atmosphere. Every story um, that's worth its weight in gold has a good atmosphere. Yeah, and, um, and, and introducing some component of detective work exactly. for the player characters. Maybe they don't know where the big, big, big bad evil guy actually is. And in order to find that, you can get them to go to places where there can be, I guess, you know, thematically linked effects. So they come across a camp full of dead bodies. How did the people die? How, how, how are the bodies arranged in some way? Are there, you know, are there clues amongst their belongings? Were they also tracking the big bad evil guy? It's, it's, there are so many ways of doing this to make it more interesting than just, you, you know, here's a tall, dark humanoid with glaring red eyes. (laughs) He cackles to himself evil and says, I have lived for thousands of years. 
No one likes a monologue. Exactly. No one likes a monologue. Um, in fact, we were playing in a game um, with a reasonably new uh, player who's doing absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing is, when he came to a particular villain, um, he started monologuing. My character was like, nah, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go straight into attack. I remember. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> probably, a, probably a big mistake on my part, but to be honest, no one particularly likes the, um, the full monologue situation. It's the same in video games. Uh, you're, you're finding the big boss that you've been wanting to take down for, he's like, done some really evil stuff, and then he starts talking, um, talking shit to you. In this monologue way, you're like, nah, I'm going to race in there and start beating him up before he can finish. <laughs> Especially if you're playing a barbarian. Yes, yes. I'd be a bit concerned if you didn't as a barbarian. Yes. Um, but yeah, that making impressions, both the first impressions throughout the game, but also a ending impression. So you want, if the whole campaign is around the BBG and you finally got to that moment, you've been playing playing for a couple of years and you got to the level 20 and now you're ready to face this guy or um you don't want it to be like two hits and he's no, gone no you know? <laughs> that's again, a bit down again you can manage that yes you know? and and i had one where the players just they got so lucky that the first three players to hit this zombie beholder that i put in this room uh critted like all three in a row and they're oh, going God. holy crap this guy's going to go down this round he's never going to get a chance to do anything so when they killed him I had him explode with necromantic light and come back to life with twice as many hit points <laughs> now, they didn't know that but the point was that I did that on the fly to make the combat more interesting Yeah, and to hint at them this was where the magic crystal they were looking for. It's in the it's in the beholder, people. <laughs> so so you, you can do lots of things to make mm. the fight more interesting. Another way of doing it is, of course, uh, what are what are the, the big bad evil guys' final words? You yeah, know, I exactly. One one of them wink at the characters and say, "See you all soon," before dying. <laughs> you know, you're creeped out. Going, oh, He's really dead, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, you poke at him. He's really dead. Oh, his body starts to disintegrate into ash. What? <laughs> so my big battle with uh, Slandre Adorn, uh, mm. this big, powerful gin, which uh, I had definitely homebrewed to be a lot powerful than what the stats uh, for a gin are, um, he actually went through three different phases. And uh, each time... You've he's played tried... a lot of video games, haven't you? I have played a fair few... But uh, it makes it more challenging because like you get him to a particular level or he gets it done before you manage to destroy him. Like he's starting to build this uh, this portal that's going to open another dimension. Um, and he's uh, trying to work on that. Then he starts going into different phases as you're battling him. Mm. He went in through like this sort of um, like a haunted mirror which I rolled a d4 to determine what the players encounter as they go through this haunted maze. Um, and then finally reaching the BBG again, and then he's in, a, in his final form as a djinn. So I switched out the smaller humanoid version and put this whopping great air elemental um, djinn, boom, on the table. Um, and then they knew, well, shit, this fight is getting to a level of intensity that um, is more than just uh, base level. But when they defeated him, his lasting impression 
was more of a memory and sort of leaded to a place known as the uh, the Lost Souls um, of Arkansas, mm-hmm. where his uh, home, home world was. It's a city in the sky, a uh, city in the clouds. And this is where all the memories and the souls go from the jinn, his family and his um, people um, were put to rest. And then you see this sort of moment um, between them, which was very emotionally stirring because they also learned that one of the players that was actually his, uh, the, her father. That was a whole thing on that too. No. But, uh, I, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> I could go, go on for days about that, uh, about that story, but there was a lot put into that, but, um, the end was something more emotional. Yeah. And I, I think that's the trick you, I mean, the original question was how do you make a, a villain that the player characters will remember and go, wow, wasn't that just a great villain? I, I'd say, one, they have to be three-dimensional. Yeah. Two, if you can, they have to be understandable. You have to be able to relate, relate to them to and go, it, yeah. okay, I get it. You know, you're really upset that your son was killed by that tribe of orcs. So, you know, you so long as there's, there's something there where you can hook on and go, okay, I, I understand the motivation. Okay, the temptation for a lot of us when we start off is to go, well, they're evil creatures and they're good creatures. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's much better to say, what was this person or creature trying to achieve? Yeah. And why? Because evil and good can be a matter of perspective. Oh, for sure. Um, see, I think a lot of a lot of villains too don't perceive themselves as a villain. Take Thanos from mm. um, in Marvel, for instance. Sure. Right, and he believed that what he was doing was just, and it was actually saving um, people. He thought that what he was doing was saving people by cutting down the overpopulation and the damaging of the worlds and it stuff like that. Never occurred to him to make twice as many planets. That always bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> But um, from everyone else's perspective, they're going to wipe out half the population. That's that's you know like mass almost murder. that's mass murder. It's a genocide, um, you know, of, which is obvious reasons. But the perspective from him was he was doing it to save the world. Mm. He didn't perceive himself as a villain. He thought himself more of the hero. He thought of you know the one man Avenger group because like you can see that's why they did a whole scene where he settled down yeah. on the planet. He did what he set out to do. He didn't want to kill everyone. He just wanted to do what he wanted um, to do to save the world. Because he thought that's how it was going to go about. And then retire. Yes. And and look, it's not always going to be possible for the villain to have noble motives. But it's awesome if you can manage that. You mm. know, there, there are plenty of cliches about it. But good people can do bad things if, yeah. if they believe the cause is just or, you know, the ends justify the means. So yeah, having 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 that, making sure that they are not just bog standard, that they're not just you know a twentieth <laughs> level wizard. No, no, make make them something unusual, something memorable. Exactly. You know, make make them memorable physically, if you can. Make them memorable in terms of the way they behave. You know, they do they behave erratically? Do they pop up here and there throughout the adventure? Going. Hmm. Weirdos, and and then disappear again. You know, a little bit of originality in in how they behave can make a world of difference. Exactly, and uh, sometimes the villain could be a just 
what the party originally perceived as a generic NPC. Now, um, they come across this nice, sort of well-mannered um, guy named Bob. <laughs> Little did they know that Bob was a shapeshifter yeah. <laughs> that was keeping close tabs on the um, party and what they were up to in his domain. Hmm. Um, and eventually, as they begin to go through the campaign, they become across more and more clues, more and more law, and they realise, hang on a second, this Bob guy seems a little off to you, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, and that's that's you know what we've been talking about. Make sure that the players are engaged with the villain. Mm, you know, yep. obviously not wedding bells engaged but you know they're, they're actively interacting with the villain they get some sense of who the villain is rather than just a right we've wandered into a really big room he must be the evil villain because he's surrounded by lackeys and then having like a solid reason so like, let's take Bob as an example the shapeshifter for an example why is he following the party what is his motives for doing that maybe his spies have spotted his um, this party sort of interfering in Bob's work and maybe some of those spies ended up dying or maybe more of his plans are being thwarted so Bob thought I need to be the one to keep a close eye I need to try and sabotage the party yep. and so then Bob decides to go and uh, find the party and stalk them through information from his spies the, the, other, the other tip I would give is you don't have to tell the player characters exactly what Bob the villain is doing exactly. so you know you rather than saying he casts misty step and disappears from sight just say bob turns as if to answer your question but suddenly he's not there anymore mm. create a little bit of mystery create a little bit of suspense by not telling them everything because exactly in 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 reality not that D is reality but if you think about it, they wouldn't know yeah. what spell Bob cast or whether he's just got some natural ability that allows him to disappear. So, you know, I, I often find it frustrating when I, when I hear beginner DM say, oh, well, uh, you're all going to have to make a dexterity save because he's cast Fireball. Why do that? Why not just say... The wizard gestures at you and says something in a language none of you understand. There's a streak of light and a ball of fire yeah. explodes amidst your party. Make a dexterity save. Yeah. They don't need to know it's a fireball. Using descriptions rather than actually saying what it is to yeah. describe what's happening exactly right. Um, and that does lead to the sense of mystery, a sense to, of confusion. Because you want there to be a level of confusion. Yep. You want there to be a level of like, oh, what shit, what's happening? You know, what, what do we do? Like a bit of panic is always um, a little bit healthy. Yeah, and it, it, also, <laughs> it also allows you to do... In-game, of course. ...homebrew things without bending the stat block. Yeah. So, for example, you could change the damage type. Exactly the same description, but a ball of acid explodes amongst you. Roll a dexterity save. They're all going, do you know that's ball? I don't know. They don't know what's going on, and that is actually a really good way of engaging players in the game because mm. they think, "I, I don't know what just happened," and they have exactly. to pay attention. They have they they become more interested because it's not just yawn. It's another fireball or you know lightning bolt or whatever it is. Change it up, just describe exactly. it. Don't tell them what's going on. 
And remember, what you have behind the screen is completely up to you. Um, you don't have to divulge that to the players, and the players don't know that. So you can have that freedom of mixing up the script, changing the recipe. And sometimes there are going to be parts where you plan for that didn't um, that you couldn't perceive the players doing something different to what you had planned. So you can improvise that little bit. They're not going to know. They're not going to know that um, you were meant to upturn a particular dead body and find the letter pierced with a um, dagger that was crucial to the story. Maybe they find that information somewhere else. Um, so they sort of like, you know, when finding things, don't just give it to them either. No. If they don't find it, they just don't find it sometimes. Yeah. And or I, if and it I, is crucial, maybe they find it differently. Or, or, or maybe, you know, they have to beat it out of a prisoner they take. Or you yeah. know, there, there are lots of ways to get the information to the players without them feeling like they're being spoon-fed. That's um, it. You know, and I, I think that the key lesson for all new DMs is just that. You do not need to justify yourself. Yeah. You're the DM. It's your world. It's your game. The players will have more fun if they're engaged in playing the game. Don't don't indulge in debates with rule lawyers. So, yeah. you know, if they say, oh, hang on, that monster doesn't have blindsight. This one does. <laughs> you got any, other, any other questions? <laughs> um, and to quote Pirates of the Caribbean, um, the rules are more like guidelines than actual rules. Uh, in fact, if you probably uh, this is a bit of ammunition to go against the rules lawyers, the player's handbook and the DM's guide actually tell them that, actually tell you that that um, this is more to as a guide. Yep. rather than strict law and and I always that, that's why that's why I always tell people if you want to change as I said at the beginning you want to change the look or the feel of a spell or an ability mm. not a problem the moment you mess around with the stat blocks be careful because as the DM you can control everything but as a player character there's a reason the stat blocks are the way they are yeah. they're all game tested to create game balance so that you don't have one character doing everything and being wonderful at everything and the rest of the characters all sitting there going why are we here again <laughs> you know so player characters don't try to bend the stat block there are so many combinations of things you can do you really don't need to and That's DMs it. feel free to bend the stat block <laughs> uh, but you know you really don't need to but yeah. if, if you've got a, an encounter that's, yeah, not fun, make it fun. Make it more challenging. Make it more interesting. Maybe, and, maybe this particular monster has resistance to fire damage. And I think that's where we're going to leave it off. Um, it's been great to have this discussion, Simon. Yeah, great to talk to you too, Lawrence. And I'm looking forward to the next game session, which we're hoping to host on the 13th. Um, a, a big... Sh Big shout out to all the players who couldn't be here. Um, and also, again, a big thank you to you for coming and jumping in on this one. My absolute pleasure, matey. Looking forward to playing with you soon. <laughs> um, don't forget to like, share, subscribe our channel. Um, we're on Facebook. Uh, we're on YouTube. We can actually see the games happening. Um, and, of course, you can find this on Apple Podcast. Um, and links will be shared on our Facebook page. 
and of course, YouTube channel. Um, thanks again. Bye. See you later.